They've got a brand new stadium, a big one, and they're going to put a big flag out there in a moment because the Eagle has landed for the Premiers. There's a new dynasty in the NBA. The Golden State Warriors champions once again. Hello everyone and welcome to the Sports Desk. I'm Kendra and I am joined with Tom and April. How are we today, guys? Pretty good. Still halfway through the Festival of Footy, so it's nice to see. How about yourself, April? Yeah, I'm doing well. I'm feeling pretty overwhelmed by the Festival of Footy, so I must say I I didn't get to much this weekend because it's just been a lot happening. Um, But we've got a packed show um, coming up with all the footy stuff and heaps of other sports to touch on as well. So excited for today's show. Yeah, and like just insane with the the festival of footy. You know, it, we're recording this on a Tuesday, and there's still two more games to go for the round. Like, who would have thought 2020 would bring something like this to the table? How are you doing, Kendra? Yes, I'm good. I'm really excited for today's show. I think I'm probably excited for golf because we haven't had golf chat yet. So the golf is what I'm looking forward to, and our weird sport at the end. I'm definitely looking forward to talking about. So everyone needs to stay tuned. Yeah, it's definitely a good one we've got coming up today at the end of the show. But we will get started, as always, with the footy chat. Um, And as we said, we're halfway through round 11, which is part of the Festival of Footy. Um, And this round began with Port Adelaide beating Richmond 93-72, to which was perhaps a bit of a surprise result there on Saturday. You don't look too happy there, Kendra. No, I'm not too happy about that. <laughs> Didn't really enjoy watching that game, but hopefully next game. And that results put Richmond down in sixth on the ladder, while Port Adelaide have a pretty strong hold on their top spot still. Yeah, and there's always been questions around Port Adelaide this year, whether they're true contenders for the Premiership. And I guess after a pretty dominant win over the Tigers, you got to pretty much consider them as one of the favourites for the Premiership this year now. I think with most most teams this year, you know, there's been a few upset results here and there. So I think um, when Port Adelaide had their loss, everyone was like, oh, this is a sign of them sort of falling apart and that they're not a real contender for the top spot. But I think we're just seeing every team have a few losses here and there and that's not taking away from the overall ability of the team. So the other games for round 11, we had Brisbane beat the Bulldogs 96-72. to we had West Coast get up over Carlton, 72-50. to 50. Oh, disappointing. Yeah. Uh, it was a pretty decent game from the Blues. We just, you know, did typical us this year and let five goals into one in the third quarter, which just sucked for us. And, you know, you can, you can blame the umpires, umpires as much as you want, but, it, you know, in the end, it doesn't come down to them. It, to them. it comes down to the players. And we just didn't step up in the end. But, you know, West Coast are... a very, very good team, very dominant team, even without Jeremy, Jeremy McGovern in that in that uh, back line as well. So, you know, it's just it sucks to have that loss, but you know, we move on to next week against Frio, and hopefully, you should have a win there. Other games we had Melbourne get up ninety-two to thirty-five over North Melbourne, perhaps a bit of a surprise there. Uh, Geelong beat the Saints ninety-three to thirty-four with a massive win there, and. Shattering the hopes, I think, of some St Kilda fans that they were really a big chance this year. Um, 
again, I'm not sure if one loss necessarily totally discounts them from having any chance of doing well in the finals. Um, but obviously it is a bit disappointing to have gone down by such a big margin. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, St Kilda were looking to be one of those teams to get some consistency in and be taken seriously as a contender this year. But that's a pretty dominant win from the Cats there who are struggling a little bit this year so far. So, you know, it doesn't look good for the Saints, but you can expect them probably to bounce back. And then the last match that's been played while we're recording this was the Monday night game between Frio and Hawthorne. Frio got up 48 to 32 over the Hawks. So another pretty low score from Hawthorne there. Um, the Tuesday night match is between Adelaide and Collingwood. And then Wednesday night, we've got my team Essendon taking on Gold Coast, hoping to redeem themselves after our close and disappointing loss to GWS last Friday. It's going to be interesting seeing Adelaide against the Pies. You know, the Pies are got a lot of injuries hit to them. They're not in the best form at the moment. Adelaide looking for at least a win this year. You know, 0-10 isn't a good look for a, for any side. So, you know, as a, I guess, a Carlton, Essendon and Richmond supporter, all of us, we'd probably hope Adelaide uh, topple the Pies. Definitely, though, I'm finding it hard to, to picture. Um, but all of you listening will know the result unlike us so find out soon and um, that brings the ladder at the moment we've got Port Adelaide as I said on top Brisbane a second Geelong in third and West Coast are fourth with the Saints just sitting in fifth Richmond are in sixth GWS in seventh and Collingwood are sitting just inside the eight at the moment yeah, it's looking very interesting with Melbourne at the moment, you know, coming up and sitting ninth after a pretty shocking start to the year. No one expected them to have any hopes of making finals. But again, with the shortened season, it looks like they, they still might be in a shot to make finals. Sin, we're young people run the show. All right, moving on, we're going to talk about Isaac Quaino, who had quite a nasty injury following a gash from Sam Weeks, who was debuting for the Sydney Swans. He had a gash as his boot dragged along his knee. Pretty, uh, uh, not a good sight for sore eyes there. It's it's very graphic, the what his boot did. And, you know, a normal footy boot with like plastic studs does not do that to a human leg. So there's got to be a lot of questions asked how he was allowed to play with the metal studs there. Well, I think there's been a bit of... Um people aren't entirely sure whether it was metal studs or not. I think Sydney came out at the start and said that it wasn't metal studs, but now they've looked into it further and found that it's um, a type of studs that's perhaps part metal, part not, um, that a lot of players in the league they think use. Um, So it's likely that this event is probably going to have an impact on a lot of players. Um, I think they're going to really want to crack down on what boots players are wearing. Um, In some ways, I guess... It's just such an odd event to have happened. And it's if players are wearing these same boots, it's almost surprising that something like this hasn't happened before. Yeah, I guess it's probably, I guess, if, you know, this is, this, you know, I think it's the first uh, incident that's happened with these metal boots. And teams have probably thought they can get away with wearing the half half because nothing's happened. And suddenly something's happened. They're probably going to have to change their strategies again now. Yeah, I think they need to go back to old school and have the umpires checking everyone's boots while they run onto the field so that they can avoid these sort of injuries. Yeah, I could definitely see them bringing that in. I feel like it's a pretty easy thing to do. Doesn't, won't take up too much time if you have enough umpires checking. Um, and really, for the safety of everyone playing, it's it's worth it. Tommy Bug came out on Twitter. And so Tommy Bug's an ex-Melbourne footballer, uh, retired a couple of years ago. He came out on Twitter and said that when he was at Melbourne, 
um, players would be getting shouted at and be getting dropped for not wearing metal studs because the coaches didn't want them to be slipping over. So the coaching staff, if that is true, you know, they obviously know about you're not allowed to wear a metal stud, but because no one's checking, they want their players to wear it just to, to stop slipping over. So it's definitely something that probably needs to be looked into further and has to not be in the game anymore because it's so dangerous, especially in a game like AFL when people are jumping on each other everywhere and on top of each other. It's so it's just so dangerous and stuff like that can happen to Isaac Quainer. And if it happens in a more serious area, there could be rather long, you know, more long-term damage uh, to different players. Yeah, it definitely seems like something that's going to turn out to be more widespread than perhaps we initially thought when this first happened. Um, so it will be interesting to see what sort of action the league takes to try stamp this out. And really, I feel a bit bad for Sam Wicks um, for this to happen to him on his debut game. Um, it obviously isn't something that anyone would do intentionally. And ugh, I don't want this to be the way that he's remembered through his career. Yeah, exactly. If you know he doesn't get many games in his career, this will be the only thing anyone really knows about him. So hopefully he does go on to have a bit of a more illustrious career and people sort of forget about this incident. So in other AFL news, the AFL has officially cancelled the Elite NAB League, which is for the state's best under 18 players. Um, this is going to have a big impact in what the draft is going to look like this year. Um, what do you guys think of the decision to cancel the league? It's definitely inevitable, uh, but it does hinder a lot of uh, footballers in Victoria. To you know, there, there's a lot of late bloomers such as Toby Green and Jack McRae who weren't in these squads when they were 17 and 18, but they bloomed in the later half of the year and got drafted. So it really hinders those sort of players. Yeah, definitely. And also, I think it's going to be really hard for especially the 18-year-olds who do want to be drafted, but they're also dealing with the challenges of VCE as well. And, you know, knowing that they're only going to probably have the opportunity to only play a few games, I think that could be quite tough on them. Exactly. You've got to consider their mental health as well. They're probably, some of these players have probably grown up uh, in this system and it's been their life trying to make AFL and all of a sudden, this chance could be taken away. And they're not going to care about year 12 or school at the moment because they're wanting to get their dream job and play AFL at the moment. So that's something to, to watch out for as well. It'll be very interesting to see what approach clubs and recruiters take um, going into the next draft that we have, whether they take an entirely different approach to what we normally see and pick players based off something other than their performance if they put more emphasis just on physical attributes or players mental attributes or things like that that they can um, easily still assess without this league and games going ahead yeah I think the uh, they're still hoping that if the um, strict restrictions do get eased that the AFL will hold some games but it's still nothing compared to what they would have had especially because all the public schools and the grammar schools have their own competitions as well that have been called off. So there's, again, so many players left out. And if you're only having a couple of games with, between Vic Metro and Vic Country, there's only 40 players or so that you're going to rotate through for each side. That's just not enough of the pool to be going through to testing players. Yeah. And also, I think it was at the start of the year or late last year, they were saying they wanted to lift the draft age. What do you think of that? Do you reckon they should have it when they're 19 and a year out of school? It's very interesting because it does make you know it does make sense, but in Australia we don't have that college system like the Americans do. The America, it's it's in their system. They go off to college and it's college sport. They get that education, then they get drafted. Whereas here, 
it's the VFL and then the AFL. You have the waffle. You, you don't have a college system where you can have youngsters playing and developing and getting an education and that sort of stuff. So I, it probably should be raised, but then I think there needs to be a way of improving the transition from high school to straight to VFL. Yeah, and I think, you know, with what's happening, that sh that rule should be considered more now since that they are having, like, the, the NAB League has been cancelled. So I think if they, that rule was to be implemented, it would um, actually work in favour of the pandemic. Yeah, and you'd probably have players that are lasting longer as well if you're raising the draft age too. You're not going in so early and you're not getting players that are just, you know, they're too young, they're too small, then they give up on their footy dream because they can't make it at a young age. Whereas if you have the draft age a bit higher these players develop more, they develop their bodies, they're getting more skillful and hopefully they'll last longer in the league. Sin, where young people run the show. Last memories of youthful days. So we're going to get into a bit of grand final talk because there's always going to be news this year about where the grand final's played, what's going to happen, is it going to clash with the Cox Plate, that sort of stuff. So I guess it's more increasingly likely that the grand final is going to be moving from Melbourne. It just depends whether it's going to be Perth, Sydney, probably not Sydney, Adelaide or Queensland. Do you guys have any idea of where you'd like it to be played or anything like that? I think Queensland seems like the most likely option at the moment, considering that's where all the teams are at the moment. It seems like probably the easiest option um, as well, because that is where that's where the hubs are. It's not going to cause any real dramas with having to travel the players and the teams and squads and everything around for the game. Um, and I think considering that Queensland have put so much effort into getting the league back up and running this year, I think they've almost earned the right to have the grand final. Yeah, but I want it to be in Victoria. Even though Queensland have done everything with the AFL, I still hope that it can be in Victoria. But then again, you've got to think about crowds. Like if we were to have it in Victoria, there probably wouldn't be any crowds. But in Queensland, you can have supporters but yeah Queensland should probably have it with all the work that they've done. If we miraculously do end up having crowds at sporting events you got to think a half full MCG would you take a half full MCG over a full Optus Stadium or a full Gabba? I think the AFL should definitely pick a full crowd it's the grand final is about atmosphere you don't want a half full stadium it just it wouldn't look as good it wouldn't feel right um, even as as a Melbourneian, I'm happy to let this one go um, in favour of just where it suits best this year. I'm, I don't think anyone's really concerned that it's going to leave Melbourne forever. Um, as soon as it can come back to the MCG, it will. I think this year will just be an exception. Yeah, and I also think um, when we did see the players move to Queensland and in the hubs and they could play in front of crowds, it seems like a much better atmosphere and everyone seemed to be playing much better in a way when they were, they did have supporters in the stands rather than no supporters at all. I don't want to stay on this for too long, but I just got one more thing before we continue. Uh, you, there's always been the controversy over the grand final where each team only gets 20,000 tickets or sorry, 15, 20,000 tickets for their supporters and the rest is for all the corporates and the sponsors and that sort of stuff. If it does move to somewhere like the Gabba, that's only 25, 30,000 seats. What do they do in that in that scenario? Do they just leave it purely for the fans or is it just going to be corporate tickets? I hope it's just for the fans. I I think that all of the time, I think every year we have the grand final, it should be more for the fans because you, know, you do see that like the preliminary finals have a much better atmosphere often than the grand final because it's 
the crowd is majority the fans of the teams that are playing, whereas grand final day is just people who like footy and, and the members and such. Um, so I hope they do just open it up to more fans this year. Yes, yeah, so I hope it um, is just the fans and less of the corporate because I think, yeah, there'll be a better atmosphere. The, pan, the, the fans get more passionate about their sport. I definitely think so. Yeah, hopefully just the fans. And you think after everything that's happened this year, it'd just be awesome if the AFL came out and said this, this game is going to be for the fans to celebrate everything that's happened and to support everyone that's gone through everything, that the grand final will just be purely fans. Anyone can go. It'd just be an incredible spectacle to see a grand final with just fans. It'd be a really good um, lift the spirits type way to end the season, I think. Um, One of the other issues, of course, with the grand final is how it's going to fit in with the spring racing carnival, um, which will, of course, be on in Melbourne at the same time. Um, At the moment, the grand final is... Um, tentatively scheduled for October 24th, which is the same date as the Cox Plate. Uh, Do you guys think we're going to see a clash between the two? Do you think um, there's been talks of the grand final being held as a twilight grand final and the Cox Plate to follow on at night? Or perhaps the Cox Plate being run during the day and then the grand final taking the night slot? What do you guys think is the most likely arrangement? I think the AFL have been really against a twilight uh, later sort of game because they're just afraid of fans being too rowdy all day for too long. But in this scenario with everything that's happened, they need to be organising with the Mooney Valley Racing Club and making sure that they're not crossing over because it's just going to ruin both events if they're on at the same time. There's a crossover or something happening. They need to work together and get a best case scenario for both of the companies and the events. Yeah, that's so true. They definitely need to work together. But I have a feeling that the Cox Plate is going to take priority just because um, it's run every year on that day and the AFL has changed. So I think they will take priority in this circumstances. And I guess not if the grand final is not in Melbourne as well, it's probably not as big of an issue as it could have been. If the grand final was at the G and the Cox Plate at Mooney Valley at the exact same time, it might have been a problem. But if the grand final is over in the Gabba, you don't really have that much of a crossover, except if you are Victorian. So I guess there's less of an issue there as well. I think as well, yeah, seeing as um, the Cox Plate is probably just going to be televised with no on-track crowds, um, there's even like the opportunity for the Cox Plate to be run during halftime or something like that um, and really like integrating the two events together which I think could be an interesting opportunity. And like you were saying, I just hope the AFL and Mooney Valley work together um, because I think it's a really good opportunity to sort of cross-promote both events and really get the biggest audience to both sporting events, having two huge events um, on on the same day. Well, they're both on Channel 7 as well, aren't they? So I guess it's going to be up to Channel 7 where they want to show it in the end, actually. It'll it'll depend on what they think is going to generate the most revenue and the most crowd, the biggest crowd, and what they think is the best option. So I guess guess we'll have to wait and see what Channel 7 say about it. On FM, on DAB+, and streaming online at sin.org.au. This is Sin, where young people run the show. Moving on to the Super Netball now, and they have had round two played over the weekend. We had two games on Saturday one was taken out by the Adelaide Thunderbirds, who beat the Giants 59-51. to 
we had the Melbourne Vixens get up 78 to 50 over the Firebirds in a big win there. Uh, the Collingwood Magpies went down to the Sunshine Coast Lightning 51 to, 50, to 47. And the last Sunday game, the New South Wales Swifts got up 73 to 72 over the West Coast Fever. Uh, their round three is on Tuesday night and Wednesday night this week. So two games will have been played last night for all of you listening at home. Um, but they are also upcoming for us as we are recording this on Tuesday. Um, but to continue on from our discussion on the Super Netball last week, we talked about the rule change that introduced the super shot rule in the last five minutes where teams can score double points for shooting a goal from a slightly further away point on the court. Um, there's been an article written this week about how this rule is keeping some players off the court. One notably is the Australian Diamonds captain, Caitlin Bassett, as um, this sort of long shooting doesn't exactly play into her strengths, I guess, as a shooter. So they're putting on another player instead of her. Um, what do you guys think of the rule? Is this going to impact um, the makeup of the Australian team one day? Um, or do you think it's just a sign that players such as Bassett need to evolve the way that they play and work on things like more longer shooting? I definitely think it's it's very interesting and it brings a lot of tactics and more tactics to the game as well, where, you know, you can have Bassett in for the game when there's no super shot going around and absolutely dominate with her there. But then when the three point or the, the two point, sorry, rule comes into play, you switch her out and then you can try and dominate with the two point again. I think it's very, it can work in your favor if you have, very dominant players in both areas and you can probably take the the um the season by storm if you play it and play it right yeah i think um definitely yeah players just need to learn to evolve to the new rule because i don't think it is going away but i can understand why some players like caitlin might be like a little bit disappointed that this rule is coming and it means that they are spending more time off the court compared to some other players. However, it does open up opportunity for other players to actually come on and, yeah, prove themselves more with these, this new rule. Exactly. So I think it was... Um, so I'm just reading here was Kira Austin and Sophie Dwyer are getting a lot more game time because of their longer shooting range there as well, which is, again, really good for some of the younger players that probably wouldn't be getting as much game time normally. Yeah, I think it adds a bit more excitement overall. As we talked about last week... Um, on the show it adds excitement in terms of teams being able to catch up more at the end of quarters if they're a bit behind but it also just adds a bit more spectacle I think to the game um, hitting a shot from further away is always a bit more exciting than a player just standing under the ring and popping it in um, and so I think being able to have players who really specialize at these sort of distance shots and bringing that as a really important aspect of the game I think it's going to make netball more exciting to watch. I think um, it was an outside perspective. I think it's very interesting and I think it's more, more, more interesting to watch as well and more exciting and can bring so much more to the game. Uh, you know, I don't want to compare it to basketball, but you just have so many versatile players in basketball that can shoot two point shots and three point shots. And you do so many rotations for that. And I think it's really, it can be really interesting for the netball to see how they develop with this and if they keep with it as well. All right, moving on to some tennis news. 
a lot more tennis players have pulled out of the US Open, including Alexi Popperin and Nadal and Warinka. Guys, what are our thoughts about more players pulling out of the US Open? We did see Kyrgios pull out and also Ash Barty pull out. So there's a lot more pulling out now. What are our thoughts? No, this is huge news for the US Open. You're not, you're not going to have Nadal, no Federer, even with, you know, no Warinka as well. You're in the, there's, I just don't think... It just shows that these players don't want to be there and they're sending a message to the US Open being like, this shouldn't be going ahead, especially in America at the moment as well. I, it's just... I can't get my head around why they're still going ahead with the US Open. Yeah, I agree. I think this new batch of players that are withdrawing, which also includes um, world number five women's player Eleanor Svitolina and the seventh-ranked Kiki Burtons have also pulled out. So we're seeing um, big-name players in both the women's and the men's draw uh, pulling out of the competition because they don't feel it's safe enough to play. And I think that's going to send a pretty clear message to the US Open that really it shouldn't be going ahead. And if it if it does continue to go ahead, it's going to be a very different looking Grand Slam to what we are used to. Exactly. And with all these, you know, big hitting women players coming, like you know, pulling out of the tournament, are we finally going to see Serena Williams um, beat the record and have the most ever Grand Slam titles? in her career. So that's going to be something to, that she's probably looking forward to, to finally get that, that, that title of world number one and the most titles ever. One interesting thing from the withdrawals is that it is seen um, Andy Murray end up getting into the main draw. He was granted a wild card for the tournament as his ranking um, didn't automatically qualify him into it. But now with so many men's players withdrawing, he's now secured a spot in the main draw if he does choose to play. Yeah, I think it's really interesting just seeing which players are continuing to go ahead with the US Open. As you said before, Tom, about Serena Williams, she still wants to do it. She wants to become number one, make her history. And then we've also got Andy Murray, who was the wild card coming in. So it seems like ones who are sort of on the brink of achieving their goals are looking to go ahead with it, whereas the other players who perhaps don't, I don't want to say, don't feel necessarily in need to prove anything are pulling out. Do you think that's why Djokovic is staying in? Because Nadal and Federer, they don't, need, they don't need to prove themselves anymore. They're arguably the two greatest tennis players of all time. But then you have Djokovic, where he arguably is better than the other two, but not many people see him like that, though. So... Is he continuing on to try and win another title and try and prove himself to be better than anybody else? I find it interesting Djokovic um, choosing to play after his um, party that was a bit of a scandal a little while ago that caused quite a few players and staff, people related to tennis, to get COVID-19. I find it interesting that he is choosing to continue to play and just sort of, I guess, what his attitude is towards the virus I think um, some people sort of don't trust him um, and sort of the people around him perhaps and that's almost one of the factors that like Nick Kyrgios mentioned it in his video when he stated that he was pulling out of the tournament Um, so I think it is interesting that we're seeing him play. Just before we move on, we've got a bit of golf news to go over. Uh, Australia's Jason Day uh, finished second in the end in the recent PGA Championship, just behind America's 23-year-old Colin Marikawa, which was his first ever major title in just his second appearance as well, which is pretty incredible from a 23-year-old. So that's 
good to see. And it's also really nice to see Jason Day, you know, getting back in the, you know, c- competing for titles. He did have a bit of a back issue during the tournament, which, you know, does suck. So you could have, you know, hopefully could have thought if he didn't have those issues, he might have been able to take the title. But it is good news for Australian golf fans out there too. Morikawa hit the lead with a drive that was 268 metres long and landed just two metres away from the hole that really set him clear because it was a pretty close championship up until then. Um, And I read an article as well today that said he was really disappointed at not having any crowd at the event because when he hit this really good shot, there was just a small amount of applause, I think, from some select media that was there. But no one else when normally crowd would have gone wild at something like that. Yeah, it is weird, especially, you know, this has been happening for the last couple of months where these massive um, tournaments are happening or games and something really impressive happens or someone scores a goal or wins a tournament where usually there would be a massive crowd celebrating. It's just a handful of claps and not that many people around, especially, you know, someone like Colin for his first ever victory in America. You'd think it'd be a pretty big, spectacle but it just turns out to be just a couple of media personality just clapping at him yeah and it's a great chance for athletes like these golfers who don't have the crowd just to really appreciate their achievements just themselves without having everyone else recognizing them so yeah intrinsic reward turn up your radio this is sin okay so on last week's episode we talked about the grand prix and i think i predicted that hamilton would get beaten or I was hoping he'd get beaten because I just wanted him to be because he wins every Grand Prix I wanted to see him just have one loss all right not taking anything away from him and his athleticism but Tom do you want to take us through the Grand Prix yes uh just on that maybe with your predictions Virat Kohli might actually come to Melbourne now and play for the Stars or the the Renegades or somebody so we have to look out for that now too I hope so I really hope so like I hope my I hope my predictions on I hope I've got like some sense that Brett Colley is going to come and play cricket. That would be the best. I would be there too. I think everyone would be there. That'd be awesome. (laughs) But um, moving, I guess, to the Formula One, uh, Verstappen ended up winning the 70th anniversary Grand Prix at Silverstone, which was actually an incredible feat. So the Mercedes car uh, couldn't cope with the heat of the track on the day. Their tyres deteriorated considerably quicker than anybody else's on the track. And they were just lucky that their cars were still so much faster than anybody else that they could still finish second and third. But Hamilton, with, I guess, the next best car, uh, helped his tyres get to the end of the race. And in the end, he just was so much faster than the Mercedes, which is such a surprise considering how the start of the season's gone. So very awesome. it's awesome there to see somebody else that's not a Mercedes on the uh, finish first. But uh, disappointing for Aussie Danny Ricardo finishing 14th after an incredible start to the weekend, finishing fifth or sixth uh, in qualifying. But Renault just can't get their pit stops right. And the strategy was just atrocious for him. And he had to stop two, you know, two or three more times than anybody else because he kept getting put into traffic and kept, his tyres kept getting ruined and he couldn't get any pace into them. So very disappointing there as well for the Aussie it's also disappointing a little bit with Verstappen taking out the win, who is Ricardo's ex-teammate at Red Bull, um, of all the people, to beat Hamilton. He was probably my last choice, but um, nevertheless, happy for Kendra that she got the prediction right. Um, Hamilton's second place also makes him equal Schumacher's record of 155 career podium finishes. So it looks extremely likely that Hamilton's going to sail past that record exactly and he's only a couple of 
um, Grand Prix victories away from Schumacher's record as well. So he'll most likely beat that record too in the near future. So the next Grand Prix is coming up this Sunday. It is the Spanish Grand Prix, which is held at the Circuit de Barcelona, Catalunya. Um, and there will still be no in-person attendance at this Grand Prix. Um, and we will hope to see Ricardo improve on his 14th position um, after he did pretty well in the British Grand Prix with getting fourth. So hopefully he can get right back up there into contention. So quickly moving on to a bit of an NBA update. The Phoenix Suns are currently 6-0 and in the bubble and only a game and a half behind the last spot in the playoffs, which is very interesting for them considering they weren't really in the contention at all for the playoffs. So only the Portland Trailblazers and the San Antonio Spurs are the only teams left that can make the playoffs in the Western Conference. And it's looking very likely that one of those teams are going to make it with the Memphis Grizzlies having a pretty hard end to the season, which does end actually on Saturday, which is very interesting. It hasn't come back for that long and it's going to end really quickly. So I guess playoffs are coming up really nice and quick and it's going to be really exciting for the end of the season. I hope we see the Phoenix Suns make it into the playoffs. I mean, a six-game winning streak is pretty impressive and it's always good to see teams coming into whatever the final series is um, with good form. You want to see those teams making it through. So hopefully they can just clinch that last spot in the playoffs. It's a really nice story as well because they had a very minuscule chance of making the playoffs. Everything had to go right for them. And so far, everything has. So it'd be absolutely incredible to see a team like that make the playoffs. But keeping with our American sport uh, going along, there's been a lot of news recently about the college sports system over in America at the moment, whether, whether they should continue or start the season or whether they should cancel it and send everybody back home and keep everyone off campus. But there have been a lot of um, prospect players come out saying that the season needs to start and not because they want to keep their draft prospects alive and you know raise their stock and make sure that they're getting a better draft pick but for players that are getting out of their home environment which isn't ideal for them because a lot of these players are getting full scholarships into these colleges because they can't afford it because they've grown up in poverty they're in really horrible environments and these college environments are a getaway from that and to try and improve their livelihoods and improve their lives and give them a future. So a couple of these players, for example, Trevor Lawrence, who is a Clemson quarterback, who is projected to possibly go number one in the NFL draft next year. He's come out and he's really concerned for some of his players because he doesn't want them going back and potentially ruining their lives or not ruining their lives, but, but potentially not fulfilling their potential and, not you know giving themselves the best opportunity to improve their livelihoods as well do you guys have a thought on that at all well i think even in australia we see how difficult the covid-19 pandemic is on people particularly anyone who's disadvantaged and i imagine the situation is so much worse over in america where their case numbers and deaths are so much higher than we have here um whether or not the season can start though is difficult because i definitely see his point that a lot of people are safer in their college environment. But um, if it's still putting players' health at risk, if they can't figure out a way to run the season that's very safe for everyone, that has a lot of protocols in place, um, they can't really go ahead with it. So I think if it, if it does go ahead, there's going to have to be all the sort of same um, 
restrictions and bubbles and things that we're seeing in the professional leagues, they're going to have to have to bring that in for the college games as well. And that could be something that's pretty tricky to organise. Yeah, I think, yeah, this would be, this is going to be really tough, especially on those struggling um, American players. But I think, I think with colleges, they see, I can imagine that they have quite a lot of money and I reckon they could potentially invest in hubs. I mean, over there, college sport is like, it's massive. So I definitely think that a lot of these colleges would actually put up the funds to have these hubs and these bubbles that could make it much safer, especially for those athletes that need to be away from home. And also, I think they want to also invest in their, like their plays and developing them rather than them not being able to participate. And the thing with those colleges as well is almost all of them are almost professional in the way they, they run things and they're like the medical teams and the training facilities and everything's like so professional. It's not like going down to a local club and playing amateurs in Australia here. Those colleges are so professional and they have world-class doctors and facilities and it's something that they could, you know, you can be utilizing and ensuring that everyone's staying safe. I think as well, possibly they're, could be um, a way to have the college sport restart and have those um, student athletes return to their college campuses and things like that and sort of turn that into a hub type environment but not have all the other students who are just taking classes return perhaps they could do something similar to what we have here and they do their study online but the student athletes get prioritized for returning to campus so that they can restart these sporting leagues. And as we were saying before, with the um, the AFL draft, some of these players are, you know, this is their last their last opportunity to show that they can make it in the league and potentially be drafted and change their lives. And you know, if they send people home and don't have this season, you could have some of these players potentially ruining their ruining their chances and not, you know, being able to provide for their families and this sort of stuff because they're not getting this opportunity which they usually would be. Yeah, and also I think with America, if they are going to go ahead with like, you know, the professional sport, the big tournaments like the US Open, I think they need to do it for almost all sports in a way, not just like single it out. I know that they are in college, but as we know, college sport in America is huge. It is like a professional sport. And they've had the majority of uh, the season for this year um, hasn't been played. So I think the colleges will be very keen to be able to get their sports back up and running. Um, so I imagine if they can work out a plan to do so, everyone will jump right behind it. Exactly. I know there's been some talk about how they make all their revenue from audiences and people coming to the games, but that's with almost all sports going on at the moment as well. Everyone makes money from from being at games. But as we've seen with almost every sport, there's been such an increase in viewers because no one can be at games as well. So you're going to you know, have to factor in that there's going to be so many more people watching, so many more people watching the ads. You can hopefully try and make the money out of that too. Sin, where young people run the show. Soft memories of youthful days. Now on to some swimming news. Australia's elite swimmers have marked the milestone for the Olympics with a virtual swim competition. So the Olympics have been postponed till next year and Swimming Australia have created a virtual swimming competition with the pools across Australia to compete, to practice um, competition against other swimmers, but can't actually compete in the one state. What do you guys think of this? I think it's really creative and it's, you know, something really cool and, and innovative to, to do considering, you know, the Olympics were meant to have finished a couple of days ago. So 
it's just nice that you're still being able to do some sort of competition and, you know, get some racing in and just, you know, compete and, you know, get in, get into the swing of things, uh, preparing for the Olympics next year too. It's like we're seeing people do like virtual marathons or virtual running races, um, virtual bike rides and bike races and stuff like that, where people are just going for it, recording their time and then comparing those times to everyone else. Um, but I think the one difference with swimming is the access to swimming pools. And I still don't know how that is going for Victorian swimmers um, because I think the majority of swimming pools are still closed at the moment. And I don't know if they have exceptions for the elite swimmers or if they've managed to move out of Victoria and get up to Queensland or somewhere where they can continue training. Um, but yeah, I hope that this second lockdown isn't putting too much disadvantage on Victoria's swimming squads. Yeah, that's very interesting. I think with swimmers, they they don't have the same privilege as other sports like AFL or anything. They have to um, yeah abide by the COVID rules. They don't have that extra privilege of challenge uh, traveling through the borders. So I think Victorian swimmers are definitely put at a greater disadvantage compared to like the Queensland swimmers who are getting back into the pools and also in the Western Australia as well. So I think we are definitely going to see quite a gap in the talent of Australian swimmers and they're all going to come from Queensland. Really intrigued to see what happens for the Olympic qualifying as well for next year. It'll be, you know, really interesting to see how the Vic swimmers do compared to everyone else and if there has been a big drop off because of what's happened. So keeping with our a Australia news as well, some news out of Sydney where the Opera House have come out and have uh, and are trying or have actually come out and said that they are going to increase the trademark property rights to the Sydney Opera House on sporting team logos. They're um, upping it to $50,000 for the rights, which is a lot of money for some of these teams who are struggling a lot at the moment, especially someone like the Sydney Kings who have come out from the NBL and are just ignoring everything that the Opera House are saying and like, okay, we're just going to drop your logo completely and we're going to go with the Sydney Harbour Bridge instead. Uh, it's, it's taken a lot of teams by uh, surprise that they're doing this and a lot of them aren't happy about it either. Yeah, so the Opera House um, inspired design is used by the Sydney Kings. It's also used by the Sydney Swans, the Sydney Roosters and the Sydney Sixers. Um, so it's a pretty common theme amongst all the Sydney sports teams. And to be honest, I didn't actually, it seems obvious now looking at it, but I didn't actually realise that the Sydney Swans um, logo design thing was the Opera House um, until right now. Um, but it seems like, in some ways it seems like a lot of money to ask for, but in other ways it is their uniform and you know, sports clubs do make a lot of money. Um, so I do see how a, um, whatever it is, could charge a lot of money for a sports team to use their design. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you on that. I didn't realise Sydney Swans was the Opera House. I actually thought it was a white swan. I used to, I thought that for so long. So now I realise that it was the Opera House. But um, yeah, I don't, to, personally, I don't understand why they're going to make such a, expensive fee when it is like it's iconic as it's that says in this article i'm reading and also that yeah it represents australia so i don't understand why they sort of want to take that away from sporting clubs it seems like they're just it seems like they're trying to take advantage of the image and try and get some profit out of everything that's happening and try and increase and you know it, it could be all for a good reason but it still doesn't 
come across as the right thing to do at the moment either. Yeah, it's definitely a bad time for them to be asking for more money for clubs to use the design because obviously this year all sporting clubs, even the ones that have managed to get their leagues back up and running, are struggling financially. They're not going to be making the same amount of profits that they normally would having less crowds or no crowds um, and things like that. So I think it's a very interesting time for them to ask for clubs to pay more money. And I think it's likely that we will see some of the clubs just say, okay, we'll just change our design and not use the Opera House anymore. Well, yeah, that'd be very interesting if these four teams end up just ditching the logo and then the Opera House has none of that exposure anymore. It's just, it's, it's nowhere really except in Sydney. I think the Opera House did come out with a statement to 2GB and claimed that they have reduced the offer and have reduced it from $50,000 since, but they haven't come out and said what exactly the price that they're asking for is. Um, so it's all a bit behind closed doors at the moment and very up in the air with what's going to happen with this. Sin, where young people run the show. So just before we wrap up today's packed episode of the Wednesday Sports Desk, we have, of course, got our odd sport of the week to talk about. As we said at the start of the show, it's a really good one this week. We have got extreme ironing. Tom, do you want to explain what exactly extreme ironing is? Yes, so I stumbled across this incredible sport just before. Extreme ironing is an outdoor sport, not indoor. can be indoor, but it's usually outdoors. An outdoor sport that combines the danger and excitement of an extreme sport with the satisfaction of a well-pressed shirt. It involves taking an iron and a board to remote locations and ironing a few items of your laundry. This can involve ironing on a mountainside, preferably on a difficult climb, makes it more extreme and dangerous, or taking an iron skiing, scooting, canoeing, or as we saw in one of the photos, skydiving as well. The photos of it are just incredible. Like they almost they almost don't look real, but I'm I'm assuming they are. Yeah, I'm just looking at the skydiving picture right now and it's, I find it really funny because you've got three skydivers, two are holding the board and the third one is pressing the shirt down. And I just wonder, how's the shirt not flown away already? Right, like aren't you going to, you're probably like ruining your shirt if you're like pinning it down to the board as well. And there's a lot of pressure going through the shirt. If you, <laughs> if you take that iron off, that shirt's going to rip apart and fly off everywhere. So extreme ironing is a somewhat well-established sport. There's a world championship there's like a, a federation of extreme ironing. There's Extreme Ironing International. Um, you'll all be thrilled to hear that Australia does participate in the sport. So I assume there's some real pathways for us to get involved. And I wonder how competitive it is to get into the world championships. Surely you just like go and do something and you just post a photo of it. I reckon that that's a pretty good way to start. Just climb on your roof and start ironing. That's a good way to get your name out there and try and get these people to notice you to try and get into this championship season. Yeah, I, I really like this sport because it does, it, it requires a bit of a creative outlet as well for people involved. Like you really got to think outside the square to try and do extreme ironing in a place or in, in an activity that no, no one else has done. So I think that could be the main challenge of this sport. Yeah, and getting the good photo of it too, um, because even even with this skydiving one that we're looking at, you know, is there a fourth person there who's the camera person taking the photo for them? Um, I think the the photo aspect of it is also a key part of this sport. 
Yeah, there's one um, that I've seen here as well that's underwater with the shark with the shark behind him as he's ironing his blue shirt underwater, which is an incredible shot to get as well. That's that's insane. There's a lot of preparation that's got to go into that to try and make sure the ironing board stays under the water. You don't ruin anything. It's got to, the shirt's got to stay in place. Oh, a lot of preparation for this sport. I love it. And then you look behind, you've got a little friend coming down in his jaws. Well, I think extreme ironing could be a sport we see a lot of parents getting their kids involved in to get them helping out with doing the laundry. So I hope all the parents that are listening are taking notes and we could have a pretty strong Australian team at the next Extreme Ironing World Championships. That brings us to the end of today's Wednesday episode of The Sports Desk with April, Tom and Kendra. It's been a packed show, so if you missed any of it, you'll be able to catch up on Omni um, and you can check us out on Facebook and Instagram to get the links to any of our past shows. You've been listening to The Sports Desk on Sin. We'll be back next Wednesday.